What's up, guys? Welcome to the RBC Students Recap Podcast. This podcast is for students in 7th through 12th grade who are interested in learning more about Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus every single day. On this week's episode of the podcast, you're going to get to hear a recording from our midweek series, Scripture is Strangest. It's brand new, and we're taking a look at the weirdest stories in the Bible and how they're relevant or apply to our lives today. So you don't want to miss this. I hope today is an encouragement to you. Putting on, um, but just like on a regular Sunday morning, there was this guy like 90 years old, um, just sleeping on the front row. And my pastor friend's daughter um, had made a balloon animal. And I guess earlier in the day or something like that, and, and I'm probably getting a few of these minor details wrong, but it is what it is. And anyway, this balloon animal made its way um, to like somewhere on the stage, it sounded like. And while, while the preaching was going on at this event, 90-year-old guy fast asleep on the front row. I don't know what caused it. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was, it was the devil. I don't know. But this balloon animal just pops in the middle of the preaching. Just, just pops. And this 90-year-old old guy sleeping on the front row, just getting his beauty rest like he always does up there, does one of these. Here's how it was described to me. This is what it looked like. You ready? Are you ready for this? Here you go. Ready? It was like this. The way it was described and demonstrated, like it was demonstrated that way, it was described as screaming and like running in his seat. What a wild time. Uh, Sketchy. So Sunday morning comes along. Old guy, same spot, same, same nap. He's taking yet another nap on the front row. And this time it's not my friend, but it's the, like, it's actually, it's the pastor of this church who's preaching on Sunday morning. And I guess, I guess somebody brought their dog, like a real dog to church, like a little lap dog or something. Oh, it was you. Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. Um, I guess somebody brought a dog to church. And at some point during the service on Sunday morning, this dog goes from this to this. And just like the other day, (laughs) an old guy, 90 years old, probably a fragile heart at this point. (laughs) Same story. It was like a deja vu. Only went from like fake dog to real dog. It was the funniest thing. Like, and so I'm listening to this story last Saturday, knowing that I'm preaching from Acts 20 this week. And I'm just like, uh, permission to plagiarize said story that you just told me. You don't understand how timely this is. Um, so in light of that, you may be wondering, like, and our, our bumper video may have given away a little bit of this, and maybe you've already read Acts 20 before. But this is a, this is a, a strange story in Scripture, okay? So we are starting a series this week called Scripture's Strangest, and uh, today we're going to be reading about a time where not just any Joe Schmo is preaching, but the Apostle Paul himself is preaching the Word, And a dude named Eutychus falls asleep during his preaching, falls out a window and dies. It's in the Bible. It's all in there. I think from what I've heard, the 90-year-old nap taker on the front row at this particular rural Baptist church is still with us. Okay, I want to make that clear. Like, he didn't didn't die. Uh, We're going to read about a dude that dies while the Apostle Paul of all people is preaching the word. All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. 
You ready? Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. A long sermon. We'll talk about that in a second. There were many lamps in the room upstairs which we, uh, where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Weird day at church. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the body home alive. I'm sorry, they brought body, good grief. He's alive, let me just clarify. They brought the boy. <laughs> For some, maybe my subconscious just wants Eutychus to be dead, okay? Um, he's dead now, by the way. This was a couple thousand years ago. Uh, spoiler alert, he ends up dying because that's what people do. Um, they brought the boy home alive. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Let me pray. Then we're going to talk about a really weird passage in Scripture. God, um, this is certainly that. Um, this is a strange account, um, one that has me asking right away, why on earth is this in the Bible? But Lord, for, um, for, for reasons that maybe we can identify and maybe some that we can't, um, Lord, you have inspired this text to be in your scriptures. And so, Lord, help us, um, Lord, as we um, look at this, uh, this, these texts for, uh, from a couple of different angles tonight um, and help us to um, pick up a couple of things that, that we may be, to, be able rather to apply to our lives um, as we think about these words. We love you, God, and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, before we hop into this passage any further, um, I think we, uh, as we do these strange stories, um, as we look at some of Scripture's strangest over the next few weeks, uh, I think it's good for us to have some questions that we can ask of any story. So sometimes when we read things in scripture that we're just like, I have no idea why that's in there, or I have no idea what that means. This makes no sense. This doesn't seem to be relevant in any way. There's some questions that we can ask that will help us to arrive at answers, because here's what we know. We've been learning on Sunday mornings all about scripture, not necessarily like the details of what the words say, but we've learned about things about how um, this, uh, this collection of 66 books is theonoustos, as we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that this scripture is God-breathed. That means that all of it is inspired by God. We've talked about um, some theories for inspiration. We know that God inspired each of these words to be written down, but is given 40 plus human authors, um, the freedom to write and record in their own style of language. Um, and so we might think here in Acts 20 that, that Luke, the author of Acts, may just want, be wanting to tell a funny story about a weird time when somebody died during a sermon. But we have to recognize that since those words are in this Bible, these words, just as much as John 3.16, are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so there is purpose behind them. And so let's look at some questions on the screen that we can ask when we encounter these strange passages in Scripture. The first question is this, is this text 
communicating a truth about God. So is this text saying something about the character, the nature, the personality of God? Second, can I find the gospel in this passage? I think that's a great question to ask of any passage of scripture that you read. Uh, fun fact about Charles Spurgeon, he said this one time, um, in the same way, this is paraphrased, in the same way that all roads in England lead to London, all passages of scripture lead to the gospel. They lead to the cross, they lead to Jesus. And so um, maybe that's a, a hint on that one that you can pretty much find the gospel in just about any text if you look hard enough. Uh, so that's a good question to ask. Uh, question number three, do the events or teachings in this passage uh, teach me how to live for God? Okay. Um, is there something in here that's modeled or that's taught that can help me be a better ambassador of Christ? Can I be a better Christ follower because of what's written in this text? And so we will, uh, we'll, we'll revisit those questions a little bit later on in our time tonight. Um, but I really want to just examine this story from three different points of view. Okay. Um, so there are, there are three different, uh, there, there are two individuals that we're going to look at today. And then there is a group that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this from the point of view of Paul, we're going to look at this text from the point of view of Eutychus, and we're going to look at this text from the point of view of pretty much everybody else that was there. And let's just see, as we make observations about the text, what God might be able to teach us as we go. And so let's look at Paul's point of view first. And so as we look at, uh, as we look at verse 7, it says, "...on the first day of the week we assembled to break bread." Okay, um, so the first day of the week, um, what day is that? Sunday. Okay. Yes. Um, now there's some discrepancy here about exactly how days work. When do our days begin and end? Midnight. Who said that? Ben, was that you? Nope. Hudson, you're a genius. You're so smart. Yeah. We keep time starting from midnight to midnight. So um, I have in my head, I need to tell you this. I have called this account in scripture, the, get ready, Dustin, you ready for this? The Paul Nighter. <laughs> which made me think about the all-nighter that we had on December 31st. And you remember, you remember the time when like all control was lost if you were there and things just got off the rails? What time did that occur? Midnight, because that was the start of January 1st. That was the beginning of the new year. What a crazy, stressful time in life, okay? That the idea of days starting and ending at midnight come from, come from the Romans. That, I don't think that's what's happening here because he preached until midnight. Maybe this was like a, like a 6 p.m. service or something. Maybe this was Sunday night church, I don't know. But my guess is they are still going off of Jewish calendaring, which begins each day at what? Any geniuses? Hmm. Huh? You got it, Jeremy? No. It has nothing to do with a time. It has something to do with the sun. No. Sundown. Ha <laughs> ha. So whenever I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, you, you all have heard this before. If you've spent time with me, um, I, my mom is Jewish. And so every year we would, we would celebrate Hanukkah. And whenever we would celebrate Hanukkah, we would, uh, we would, we would light the menorah every night at sundown because that was the beginning of a day. And so if the, if Jews were observing a Sabbath day, um, their Sabbath day was Saturday. It actually began Friday night at sundown and went through Saturday. Okay, see how that works? It's still 24 hours we're talking about here, but the day begins and ends at sundown, not at midnight. And so if that's the case here, 
let's say uh, here it gets dark, uh, what time? Uh, it's a little earlier now. Let's say, let's say seven now. Let's say seven now. Time's going to change. It's going to be weird here in a little bit. It's going to make me sad, but we're not going to talk about that today. Yeah, sundown happens, let's say around seven right now. Okay, so let's say that, that that's the case here. And Paul begins preaching and they begin having church around 7 p.m. And then the text tells us that Paul continued to preach. He kept talking, verse 7, he kept talking until midnight. So far, this is a five-hour and counting sermon. Now, some of y'all might be wondering if I'm getting some crazy ideas based on what I'm... I, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it's 722. Should I? Sh should I? Should I? Let's think about what's going on in the life of Paul. So Paul is in a place called Troas. Hey, I promise I'm not preaching till midnight. Calm down. I don't want nobody sitting by the windows, okay? Um, Paul is at a place called Troas. And the next day he's going to be leaving. He spent some time in Troas and here's what he's doing. He's seeing these final hours as an opportunity, a final opportunity to invest in the church at Troas. And so he is giving them his heart. He is preaching the word and, and, and God is giving him, uh, he's giving him words to say and they just happen to be a lot. Paul's not wasting their time. He is preaching faithfully and it just happens to be a lot. Listen, the first time I went to Africa, I went to Ethiopia and they were celebrating Christmas, kind of the Advent season. This was in January. And that we went to a, 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 a night. So we went to Sunday morning service, which was long. And then we went to a Sunday night service that was like strictly about Christmas. And I was like, oh yeah, I've done Christmas services before at my church. And they're like 45 church service was to the tune of about six and a half hours. And that was insane. Already, if the sun went down at seven, already this is at five hours and counting. Okay, so from Paul's perspective, he is, he is in a position where he is going to preach and pour into these people as much as humanly possible before he catches his ship to leave um, to his next destination. And he is giving them every ounce of himself before he has to leave. What does that say about Paul? My guess is late at night, and I, I can tell you from a preacher's perspective, um, preaching is exhausting. Uh, by the time I get home on Wednesday nights, like I'm just ready to crash. Um, and the times that, that, that Pastor Jeremy's allowed me to preach on Sunday morning, uh, I've got this weird conflict that happens where I want to watch football, but my eyes are so heavy that I can't do it. It's just really, really tough. Uh, preaching is exhausting. You're, you're pouring your heart and your soul. You're doing what you're passionate about, what you're called to do, and, and, and it's hard. Paul isn't exempt from that. This is hard. This is hard work, and he is investing every ounce of what he has for the sake of the people time alone, because travel the next day, what I like to do is go to bed at eight o'clock. And I like to just like chill and have some time alone because travel days are exhausting too. So he's about to have some travel days, but instead of being selfish, instead of pouring into himself and getting himself ready for his travels, what's most important to Paul is fulfilling the calling that God has on his life. And what God has called him to do with his life is to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God to the people. And so he sees this opportunity and he takes advantage of it, even if it is a sacrifice for him, even if it's going to make the next day miserable, even if God has a whole lot of stuff that he wants to use him to 
say. It's a really selfless thing that Paul is doing. Now, let's think about how Paul reacts to um, a dude not only falling asleep during his sermon, but also falling out of a third story window and dying while he's preaching a sermon. Listen, if any of you all were to even fall out of your chair while I'm preaching, it would stir me up a little bit. I'd be a little bit concerned for your well-being. I know some of you are like, how can I try this right now without being too obvious? Don't do it. Um, if somebody were to fall from a third story window while I'm preaching, um, I, I'd, I'd probably be in panic mode. But notice that Paul isn't. His demeanor seems to be calm. He doesn't seem to be worried. In fact, the way this reads, it seems like he's one of the last people to get down to the ground floor outside the building to see how all Eutychus is doing. But when he gets there, you still see this calm demeanor. And he knows exactly what to do. It says that he embraced him. Um, which we will uh, we'll talk a little bit more about when we, when we talk about this from the, from the demeanor of Eutychus. Um, but what he does is, is interesting um, and scriptural, which we'll, we'll see here in just a couple of minutes. Um, he doesn't panic. And you know who seems to be like that when there's crisis happening in the midst? You know, Jesus. You know, Michael, we were talking about Sabbath earlier and just talking about like rest and, 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 and knowing when to, when to withdraw and, and to do the right thing um, by not overexerting ourselves. And one thing that I notice about Jesus is that in times of crisis, um, there, there was always people who needed Jesus for something, whether it be healing, whether it be teaching, whether it be companionship, um, whether it be to try to stump him with some legalistic what if. Uh, people wanted Jesus's attention all the time. You want to know what I'd never see Jesus doing in the Gospels? Stressing. Never see him running around frantically trying to, trying to be everything that he's supposed to be for everyone. He's calm. And he met every need that the Father appointed for him to meet. He never, he never ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. Y'all were doing Doug Doug Goose back there and one of y'all was running like a chicken. That's not a chicken, <laughs> by the way. Just a fun fact. That was just like regular running. But nobody, like, no, you, never, you never see Jesus just like hustling to the next thing because there's too many things to do. Even in moments of crisis, Jesus had people in serious, dire need. In fact, we're going to talk about this passage here in just a little bit. But do you remember that time whenever Lazarus died? Well, do you remember that time when Lazarus was sick and his sisters came to Jesus and were like, And Jesus was like, all right. And then he waited more days, then showed up. It's funny, Jesus never seems to be freaked out about the next ministry need that needs to be met. Paul is modeling Christ in that way. He calmly makes his way to the first floor and he calmly embraces this dead body. And he calmly lets the people surrounding him know that the boy isn't dead. I wonder, if that, I wonder if that says something to us on, on maybe how we ought to conduct our lives. We live pretty stressful lives on this side of the planet. Uh, listen, teenagers are busier and, and more stressed out than teenagers have ever been in the history of mankind. 
I wonder if maybe there's something. Question three, what was it? Does this passage teach me how to live for God? Maybe there's a subtle way right there that this passage is teaching you how to live for God. Maybe, maybe we ought to model Paul and how he's dealing with a, a moment of crisis in a matter that's calm and that's collected and that's faithful. I think part of the reason why Paul was so calm was because he knew that God was going to use him to make sure that this boy was going to remain alive after a, a, a tragic fall out of a window. Just something to think about. And so that's Paul's perspective. He's preaching, he's giving himself to the people. And when tragedy occurs in the midst of all of that, even in the middle of the night, he calmly continues to do what God has appointed him to do. Now let's look at Eutychus. Um, fun fact, the, the name Eutychus. If you are interested in naming one of your future children Eutychus, it means good luck. Now, if that's not just a truckload of irony from, from his folks, I just don't know what is. If your name is Good Luck, and you fall out of a third-story window listening to Paul preach, that's a bad look. That's a really bad look. But his name means Good Luck. Now, he was probably a slave um, in his like early 20s, maybe, like the age range. Uh, we don't exactly know, but we can... Maybe like a good median age guess would be like someone uh, maybe in like their early 20s. Could have been as young as some of you like 7th and 8th graders, maybe uh, someone as old as me, like in early or mid 30s. Um, but let's just say like early 20s, he was a, he was a slave, he was a servant. And so um, with this being a service that started at sundown, there is a good chance that he had worked hard the entire day. And there's one more chance for to hear the Apostle Paul preach before he leaves the next day. And so he attends and after a long day of work, he's trying to do the right thing by sitting under the preaching of the word. Dust in your flashlight's on, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but blinded by the light. Anyway, um, I don't, I've never thought I would sing 38 special in the middle of a sermon. That's a weird, that's a weird bucket list item right there. Check. So Eutychus is tired. He's worked really, really hard. And he finds himself doing the right thing, trying to hear the word, trying, trying to be there, trying to soak up all of the wisdom and all of the, uh, the Christ-like teaching that, that Paul has to offer. And his eyelids are just getting heavy. But we have to ask the question, how and why exactly did this tragedy take place? Okay, um, Our text gives us a little bit of a clue here. Uh, a lot of times we like to think it's just the matter of fatigue. But look at verse 8. Look what it says. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. That's the whole verse. There were many lamps in the room where we assembled. Why is that significant? This already seems to be a, just a strange kind of comical, weird story in the middle of a, a, a phenomenal history book about the first century church. Why is it that Luke chose and was inspired to write down this particular detail. What do you all think? Kaylee. Okay, it was dark outside. Okay, we, we, knew, we knew that because of what it says in verse 7. He kept talking until midnight. So we already know it's dark. 
So the, like, we, we can assume that there's got to be some sort of light because, he, because they're, they're gathered together. What do you think? Okay, there's a lot of people. Okay, we, I guess in theory we could sit in, in a dark room. It's not necessary for there to be light. Yeah, what do you think? I'm looking at you. Okay, so maybe that was a, a counter. Uh, was a, that was a, that was a counter to like the natural fatigue that the people would have being there so late after long days of work. Maybe. Here's something that I think. Let's think about what these lights are. So we have these lights. Um, these lights are um, obviously electric. Question about two thousand years ago. Did they have electricity? If you said yes, you have got some historical study you need to spend some time like your timeline's off no there's no electricity don't be yawning michael stay in your chair <laughs> i'm nervous i promise we will not stay till midnight all right yes so what are these what are these lights made out of bigger yes torches they're made out of torches. they're torches they're 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 fueled by oil. They're they're fire, and then that's what they are. And it says there's a bunch of them, right? There were many lamps in the room, and so you've got a you've got a small room, tightly packed with people, and you've got a window. Now let's take a walk with me for just a moment. Let's just look at this window. This oh. There's glass there, you silly goose. Uh, this window is way bigger than the window that we're talking about here, okay? That's important. Like, oh, clearly it is big enough for a human being to fit through and fall out. Let's say he's sitting there like, maybe it's like this, but it's definitely not that high and it's open, okay? So have you all ever, have you all ever caught bugs before? You ever like caught bugs and like put them in like a jar or something? Okay. So I didn't know, I've killed many a bugs. I, I, used to, I used to catch like, I'd love like to catch fireflies in the summer and put them in like a jar, like a Coke bottle. And then I'd put the cap on because I wouldn't want it to fly away and go away from me because I just adopted it to be my new pet and friend. What happened? Why does it die? Yeah. Yeah, it turns out that organisms like animals they need oxygen to survive. That's a fun fact. Well, when you're burning a bunch of oil lamps, listen, when you're burning a bunch of oil lamps in a tightly packed space with not very much ventilation at all, there might be a lack of oxygen in the space. And so how did this tragedy happen? Perhaps it wasn't just fatigue. Maybe he was also getting a little lightheaded, which may have compelled him to take a walk over to the other side of the room and sit in the windowsill to get some fresh air. And as he sat, he maybe he became more comfortable as his brain continued to get more and more oxygen. And maybe that was the death blow. So either he was going to suffocate sitting on this side of the room or he was going to fall out the window on this side of the room. Maybe that's what's going on here. And lastly, as we ask the question, why and how could this have happened? Do you think, do you think Paul's preaching was boring? Do you think it was just boring? 
and he just wasn't interested in it because it wasn't good enough? Maybe he didn't tell enough funny stories about 90-year-old guys falling asleep on the front pew and he just wasn't cool enough and exciting enough to listen to? You think that's what it was? Listen, I don't think that can be it. Because, real talk, I've read all of Paul's biblical letters. If he preaches half as good as he writes, you ain't going to fall asleep during his preaching. Michael, you might fall asleep during mine, but Paul's a way better preacher than me. So I don't think it's a boring sermon that's the cause of death here. But I think poor ventilated room, oil lamps burning everywhere, a long day of work. It was the perfect recipe for Eutychus to just not make it through the night. And that's what happened. Regardless of cause, we know that he fell asleep. Um, another suggestion from, a, from an early church father, you, you may not know this name and that's okay, but this guy is pivotal in like, like Christian thought in the early centuries of the church. His name's John Chrysostom. And he says that this is like spiritual warfare taking place here. How could this be spiritual warfare? How could this be the devil? What do you think, Kaylee? <laughs> and, and he died. Yeah, yeah. May, maybe that. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe the devil caused him to not be able to hear the story. Like he didn't. He didn't want Eutychus to to hear these words that Paul was preaching. Maybe that was it. And that's just another suggestion that I hadn't thought of that a guy much smarter than me from about 1800 years ago wrote down one time. Um, so that's something else to consider. But my guess is the conditions themselves were the primary causes of um, Eutychus falling asleep and falling out the window. Okay, let's move on. But let me first say this. Sometimes the conditions are strange when, when, when God is speaking, Right? Uh, sometimes there's a bunch of torches fired up in a poorly ventilated room with a teeny tiny window and a bunch of people packed in like sardines. Sometimes, now this one might be convicting to you, sometimes you've had a long day at school and you come to, and you come to church on a Wednesday night and maybe you had practice in between getting out of school and coming here and then you've had homework that you tried to get done but it's stressing you out and you didn't get it all the way done and then you show up here and sometimes you think about all those factors from earlier in the day and you think to yourself, yeah, I've gotta just, I gotta just blow off tonight. I gotta just not care tonight because I've got so many other things going on. Sometimes friends, conditions aren't perfect when, when God is speaking but remember every time that we open this up and we explore the text, God is speaking to us. If he's inspired every single one of these words, he is speaking to us. And sometimes conditions aren't perfect for us to hear, but then we have to make a decision. Do I press in anyway? Do, 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 I, do I try, do I, do I tack my eyelids open as long as humanly possible? Do I, do I get myself in a position to where I can hear this word even when the conditions aren't ideal, even when my circumstances don't call for it? I think Eutychus probably tried. And I think he made it till midnight. <laughs> and then he fell out of a window <laughs> and died. But a lot of times, conditions aren't right for us. And we have to be okay with that. Maybe there is an element of spiritual warfare there. Maybe it's just an easy excuse for us to make to not listen to the preaching of the word. I don't know. Hey, Sunday morning, you know what I've heard from, from many of students? None of you guys, of course, but many students. They come in like this. 
And I'm like, hey, Johnny Appleseed, how are you today? And Johnny Appleseed always says, I'm tired. Oh, man, Johnny Appleseed, I'm so sorry. Did you have a, did you have a rough night last night? Yes. What did you do, Johnny Appleseed? Man, it must have been crazy at your place. Mm. I played Call of Duty till 5.30 this morning. It's been a long night of Call of Duty, and so I'm exhausted. And then, sure enough, Ashley will get up to teach, or I'll get up to teach, and Johnny Appleseed will be sitting there like this, like, mm. and then, like, you call out Johnny Appleseed. You're like, Johnny, Johnny, this is important. You got to pay attention. And Johnny Appleseed's always like, I can't. It's, I just, I'm too tired. I can't, I can't actually do it. I'm just too tired. That's a condition in which you have control over. That's a circumstance in which you could have controlled. With discipline and maturity, you could have stopped playing Call of Duty, Johnny Appleseed, at 11 instead of 5.30. You could have had your cake and ate it too. You could have played Call of Duty and still had the mental capacity to be able to sit under the teaching of God's Word. Maybe there's some routine changes that we need to make to better position ourselves to hear God speak. Lastly, let's talk about the people, okay? Third perspective, everybody else there. We're going to fly through this one. Verses 11 and 12, this is what they say. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. What were they comforted by? Was it the fact that Eutychus was brought back to life? Yes. And in one word, here's what that is. Resurrection. They were comforted by the fact that they witnessed resurrection. This is only one account of resurrection in Scripture. Okay, God does this several times through the entire Bible. I'm just going to roll through some examples. 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. Uh, Elijah, he raised uh, uh, the widow of Zarephath's son. Okay, and what did he do? Just like what Paul did, he stretched himself out over the boy and God brought him back to life. 2 Kings 4, Elisha raised the Shunammite woman's son in a very similar fashion. He lays himself over, he prays, God brings him back to life. 2 Kings, man, lots of resurrection in 1 and 2 Kings. 2 Kings 13, a guy was thrown into Elisha's grave as a dead guy. And as soon as his dead body touched the bones of Elisha, guess what? Boop, right back to life. God did that. Luke 7, remember that widow of Nain's son? Okay, so this is the one where Jesus and his followers are headed one direction and a funeral procession is headed the other direction. And Jesus puts his hand on the coffin and he's like, stop being dead. And then, stop being dead. That's resurrection. Only God can do that. Luke 8, Jairus' daughter, you remember her? Raised by Jesus. He tells people to stop being dead. They stop being dead. John 11, we've already mentioned this one once tonight. Lazarus. You remember his sisters? Remember they were being ridiculous? And they were, they were freaking out. But Jesus is like, yeah, I'll be there in a few days. But he's going to die by then. He exactly did. And then when he was buried four days, he smelled really bad. He was already decomposing. And he said, Lazarus, come out of that grave. And he came out of that grave. God resurrects. He can do that. Acts 9, earlier in this book, Acts 9, Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, another great name for your future kids. Okay, Tabitha. She was raised to life by Peter. Peter was used by God to bring Dorcas back to life. And of course, we can't neglect the most important one. 
Jesus raised himself back to life to defeat sin once and for all. He conquered sin by raising himself back to life. So why were the people comforted? Was it just that Eutychus had fallen a tremendous distance and died and then stopped being dead? Or were they comforted by the fact that they serve a God who regularly defeats death, who regularly conquers the one thing that human beings can't conquer? Perhaps, when we look at the time frame in which this is taking place, this event, most commentators agree, is taking place somewhere between Easter and Pentecost. So spring, sometime between spring and fall. And my guess is that there's at least a chance that Paul, on his last night in Troas, was preaching about resurrection. And then sure enough, in the moment, they were given an object lesson about how, Paul, or about how God can, can, can raise dead people to life. And every time that God raises a dead person to life in a physical sense, the implication is that God can raise people to life from death to life in a spiritual sense, which is much more important, which is much longer lasting. And so it's just interesting that people who were subjected to Paul's preaching, most likely about one of these primary themes, you think on Paul's last night, you think he was going to preach some like obscure random thing about like, I don't know, how to, how to get better grades? Like, no. Paul's last night in a place, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, he's gonna hit the most important thing. He's going to leave them with the most important thing, the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus was born to die for the sins of people like you and me. And the way he overcame the penalty that he took for us was to raise himself back to life. You better believe that it, maybe if, if it wasn't the primary point of Paul's preaching. You better believe that he mentions the resurrection while he's preaching. My guess is he mentioned the resurrection every time he preached. He was witnessing to what God had done in recent years. The most notable, resurrecting. And so my guess is this was a really timely object lesson that just happened to be there. And the people were comforted not by the fact that Eutychus was alive, but because God conquers death. And so let's look at those questions again. And let's, as we're, as we're finishing up here, let's, let's think about a couple of things regarding those questions. And so um, what, what, what is, does this text tell us anything about God? Yeah, that. He, he, he conquers death. He, he, overcome, he overcomes what we cannot. And the two things, namely being our sin and death itself. God has defeated sin and death so that we can have eternal life. Not only that, he speaks. He speaks, and sometimes he speaks late at night. Sometimes he speaks at times that aren't convenient for you. And so I'll jump right down to question number three. Is there something I can do differently? Is there something that I can do to better live for God based on what I've read? 
Maybe be open to the idea that God may speak at times that aren't convenient for you. How can you, how can you be better attentive to the things that God is saying to you even when you're tired, even when your mind is on other things? God speaks, and sometimes he speaks when we're not necessarily seated and ready to listen. Will we be open to God speaking to us at times that are inconvenient for us? That's something to consider. Now let's hop back up to that second question. Can I find the gospel in this passage? Easily. That's probably the easiest one here. A tragedy in death was turned around for good. The last thing I want to share with you tonight is uh, just a a little bit of a reminder about um, the journey that God has had me on. Um, You know, I came to Christ as a 16-year-old, and so a lot of you are that age. And um, I'm confident that I would have never received Christ had there not been death preceding my salvation. Um, You've heard my story before, and if you haven't, I'd love to share it with you sometime. Um, But my best friend died in his sleep, Um, just as random as this seems to be. Um, No explanation. No, 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 no cause. Just seemed to be random death. 17-year-old, healthy as a horse. And had he not died, I would have never said yes to 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 the multitude of invitations that he had offered me while he was still living to come to church and hear the good news. So I did. And the result of his death, in a physical sense, is my eternal life. God takes something tragic and turns it into something beautiful. He takes something broken and he puts it together for something that brings him honor. God does that. Unscripted, I understand there's a clock there, but we're reading about a guy who preached all the way till dawn. So give me a few extra minutes. I understand that some of your, um, some of you students have been dealing with some unimaginable hurt over the last few days because of unexplainable tragedy that has taken place in your community. I would love to be able to stand up here and offer you an explanation. I don't have one. I don't have that for you today. What I do have is the regular promise in Scripture that despite all of the bad and all of the tragedy and all of the hurt that we see, God remains to be just as good as he's always been. And I can say that confidently, not just because of what we read in the Word, but because my testimony is through something unexplainable, through something tragic, God afforded me forever life with him. And so, Republic students, I need you to know what I've been praying for you as you've been navigating this unexplainable tragedy. I need you to know that I've been praying that somehow, some way, God takes this tragedy and he turns it into something good. You ask me how that's supposed to look? I have no idea. But what I do know is that he can. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. And I also want to make it clear, um, and I I can speak on behalf of Ashley and all of our small group leaders too. um, We do not expect you to walk through this by yourself. If you need to come and hang out 
and you need to come in and, and just vent and be frustrated about the circumstances, or if you just need someone to spend time with, we are able to do that for you. That has nothing to do with tonight's sermon, but while I have your attention, I need you to know we are here for that. We are not just here to preach at you and send you on your merry way. We are here to hurt with you. We are here to rejoice with you when those times come. That's what doing life is all about. And the last time I checked, the church is a family. And families live the good times together and they hurt together too. And so we are ready to do that with you. Let me pray for us and then we're done tonight. Oh God, how, Lord, how you can, how you can take bad things and turn them good um, will always amaze me. Um, Lord, this is, uh, this is one of those passages that, God, we could look at and just think it's just a silly, ridiculous passage. Um, but Lord, at the same time, um, you're demonstrating your authority over um, even things as final as death. And God, may we be just like the people who witnessed these events in Acts 20. May we be filled with comfort knowing that you are a God that is able to overcome any force that opposes you. And sometimes we look at passages like these and, and we think there's no way that they matter. Uh, maybe this is just an arbitrary story. Um, but God, what we see here is you exercising your ability um, to, to put broken back together. And God, for anybody who is in you, for anybody who has trusted you as their Lord and their Savior, that is their story. Whether that took place at VBS or whether that took place um, at an altar at some church or whether that took place in a, in a jail cell for that matter. Um, God, when, when we are um, adopted into your family in faith, um, Lord, that is, the, uh, that is the epitome of something broken being turned into something beautiful. That is uh, the result of your death, burial, and resurrection, and we thank you for that tonight. Um, so God, I pray, um, Lord, for anybody who has not yet made that decision, um, God, would you, um, would you do what only you can do? Would you pierce their hearts? Would you convict them um, to at least ask some more questions about what it looks like to follow you, to be put back together, to be made whole, to be made righteous in your eyes, um, not by their own work, but by placing their faith in you? Um, Lord, I do um, continue to lift up um, the community and republic. Um, Lord, I don't, um, I, at this point, I don't know what to pray, um, apart from do what only you can do. Um, Lord, somehow, some way, you can take terrible tragedy and, um, and, 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 and draw life out of it. We ask that you would do that. Um, however you see fit. Um, but Lord, even if we don't see it, we, we, we trust you. And Lord, we know that no events that take place in this world will ever discount the fact that you are good no matter what. And so may we cling to that tonight. And Lord, thank you for these students and for um, the ways that you are working in their lives. And God, would you show them, Lord, how much they are loved by you, um, how, how precious they are to you. And Lord, would you give them um, ears and would you give them attention and would you give them discernment to be able to recognize um, when you're speaking to them, when you're pouring into them, when you're convicting them so that they might look more like you um, after, um, after a, a particular experience in your word or um, with fellow believers or whatever that may look like. 
Um, so, Lord, as we worship, um, Lord, as we um, hang out tonight, as we prepare to go home, um, Lord, may all these things be so. In Jesus' name, amen.